All right, it is the week of Monday, February 14th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we have a couple of house cleaning items from last week, including my UFC 271 pay-per-view by prediction and PFL getting two major partnerships signed with Channel 4 and Puncher's Chance. I'll break all of that stuff down at the beginning of the show. Then we're going to do our first ever FPP Twitter mailbag. Yes, I've got enough fan questions from you guys that I've got to do a Twitter mailbag. We're going to cover three topics today. I'm very excited about it. Keep those questions coming. We'll absolutely love to do this stuff, especially as a regular you know, segment on the show. If I get enough questions, more than happy to keep doing it. So make sure you keep sending them in. Absolutely love it. Then we are going to talk about Mark Simpson, or I'm sorry, Tim Simpson and Israel Adesanya's comments regarding fighter pay. They were on the MMA Hour this week with Ariel Hawani. Both of them made some interesting statements about fighter pay I want to break down because one I don't believe is necessarily true. The other, I believe, could end up being a big boon for things as more and more attention is drawn to fighter pay, especially by the UFC's champions. So we've got to break that down. And then lastly, I'm going to do a very small segment, one of my favorite segments that you know and love and I've done multiple times talking about fighter salaries and pay-per-view buys as true fact and published as true fact. We're going to have that conversation because a very, very surprising source went ahead and published some fake numbers, some false numbers, and we, we've got to address it on the show. So as always, make sure you hit the like, subscribe, bell notification if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Appreciate all you guys, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so first thing we've got to talk about is the traditional UFC 271 pay-per-view buy prediction. Now, this is an interesting one because, one, it's a rematch, and arguably Adesanya's biggest rematch since he took the belt off of Robert Whitaker. That's against... Robert Whitaker. Uh, and two, this week's fight had a weird feeling to it. Um, not quite sure what it was. Saw a lot of that on social media. Saw a lot of it on some other places as well. It's also Sands price increase, right? $75 per pay-per-view. Um, so there's a lot of factors here. One thing that stands out to me is that UFC 270's embedded videos uh, specifically the later episodes, right? It always, almost always starts out strong. Episode one and two are good, but then as, as they progress, they get lower. UFC 270's embedded videos were higher than UFC 271's embedded videos by 40K, um, 40K viewers. That's a little negligible, right? And it's it's three weeks ago compared to just several days ago, so those could keep rising. Um, but it's interesting. It really is. I think that given Adesanya's popularity, because we know he is the based based on the pay-per-view buy numbers that we have that have been reported by reputable sources, we know he is one of the biggest stars in the UFC, if not the biggest at this point in terms of active fighter. Uh, McGregor will always draw more. Um, Usman is starting to draw at his level. Um Jones would probably draw more in the right circumstance, but he's, he's up there. He's definitely in the top five on any given pay-per-view day. I'd say generally he's even higher than that top one, one or two, not one. Sorry. That's Connor, but two, two or three, depending on Jones's drawing power. Cause we've seen Jones's drawing power kind of fade a little bit, depending on his opponent. So 
it's it's very interesting. Um, was it a lot of trash talk because Whitaker just didn't engage in it? Um, wasn't the most exciting fight, you know, not going to get into who you scored it for, uh, or any of that stuff, but it was close and, and it was more rem- reminiscent of his fight, Adesanya's fight against Romero than some of the other knockouts and, and highlights we've seen or, or the first fight with Whitaker. Right. But that being said, I think Adesanya still has a fair amount of drawing power. I think that despite the maybe lack not lack of a push but lack of fanfare around this one it probably still does very well the pay-per-view price probably is hitting a little bit harder for a fight like this right um i don't know i i for whatever reason i want to go 700k which is a little bit low for an adesanya pay-per-view generally i'd say 800 or so um 850 ish but with the with the price increase and just the kind of Lack of fanfare and and a little bit of, you know, even even within the MMA community, just didn't seem as hyped up. I'm gonna say 700k. That might actually be high in this case, which is shocking to say. Um, but then again, we've seen this before, right? Uh, Jones is is by far the best example of this. Where if you have so many fights that go on and aren't the most exciting. Um, or you don't have the right buildup with your opponent, it can hurt your pay-per-view buys. Anthony Smith's versus John Jones was something like 550K buys, right? And we know that Cormier versus Jones was closer to 800K. So it does make a difference who the opponent is. And, and despite Whitaker being easily the second best middleweight in the division, if not the first best, depending on how you judge that fight, it, it is a little shocking but but they don't have a lot of back and forth because because Whitaker's such a nice dude and especially this time around he didn't engage in it at all he just does his own thing right um, the, I like to call it the nice guy curse in MMA a lot of MMA fans and a lot of people in the business want to see that kind of wrestling professional wrestling style promo uh, people will get on you nonstop if you try and compare. WWE to UFC is as apples to apples, but they love that same type of heat and the same type of back and forth and build up and drama. And when you get guys like Whitaker or Stipe Miocic or, um, you know, anyone, Stephen Thompson, anyone that's a genuinely nice guy, although I love that Stephen Thompson leaned into it, um, it, it, it can take away from the the fervor and and the the drawing in the casual fans because as we've talked about hardcore fans are going to get drawn in regardless they're they're going to you know pay or in this case a lot of you will now be cruising the high seas from what i've seen um but you're one way or another you're going to watch once you get into the outer reaches you got to have some drama to lure people in and this didn't have a lot of drama and build up so i'm going to go 700k here might even be a little bit high i could see 650 for this one. And I, you know, then I got, I wouldn't be shocked if Adesanya's popularity is still high enough. It draws an 800, but I, I'm, I'm thinking 700 K here. I've seen enough indicators to think it's maybe a little bit less than what a typical Adesanya pay-per-view has been doing. So I'm going to go 700 K. I think that's a solid bet. Again, I've been very wrong before. So don't trust these numbers as anything close to the truth. This is just my guess. And as we'll talk about later in the show, there are others putting putting much lower estimates out there and preaching them as pretty much 
yeah. So so we'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, I'm I'm going 700k. Let me know if you think it's higher or lower than that. What's the over under on 700k buys? You think Adesanya's power is enough to you know keep going and draw people in regardless of the lack of trauma? Do you think that's a little high given the matchup and how Adesanya's past couple fights have gone? Do you think his his you know pay per view drawing power will be affected based on how the Whitaker fight went? Because again, was more reminiscent of Yoel Romero than you know, the first Whitaker versus Adesanya fight. So let me know your thoughts and comments, but yeah, I'm going 700 K for this one. All right. Next thing we have to talk about is the PFL made a couple of big partnerships or announced a couple of big partnerships rather last week. First puncher's chance, which is Bruce buffers whiskey that he's always advertising um, will now be the official whiskey partner of the PFL. According to this press release, Back on February 9th, the Professional Fighters League, yada, 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 today announced a partnership deal with Wolf Spirit to name Puncher's Chance Bourbon as the official spirits partner of the PFL. As part of the deal, Puncher's Chance will sponsor all PFL regular season events on ESPN networks and streaming platforms and be served in the VIP lounge at season events. Additionally, Puncher's Chance will be or will present upset of the night across all PFL social media channels and a highly recognized PFL athlete will also serve as a brand ambassador for the spirit throughout the season. So this isn't quite to the level that the Modelo UFC deal we talked about last week is. It's definitely not low eight figures, right? But it sits up there and it's a big alcohol partner outside of uh, Presidente, right? And then the Anheuser-Busch sponsorship that that PFL has it's big because again this is a probably a good source of revenue it's not a major bourbon right it's not like you go to the store and everybody's talking about puncher's chance but it's it's another sponsorship that does help boost PFL a little bit and we've talked before about their ratings and how it could be harder to get sponsorships we don't know the terms of the deal we don't know if we're talking about you know a million dollars or, you know, a couple of, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, low, lower, higher six figures. We have no idea where it's at. So this might be just kind of a, Hey, let's get a new partnership and announce that and be proud of it. But I would imagine this is, this is good revenue for the PFL. Right. And at this point, honestly, any outside sponsorship, that can help boost revenue that's not from investors is good for the PFL because we still know gates have not been great. I mean, with the whole bubble, there haven't been gates for the past few years, but when, when there were gates, gates were not the best. Um, we know their ratings. We know the struggles they've had. So this is, this is a good boost for them An even bigger boost. And the more noteworthy partnership that was announced was that PFL has gotten a new UK TV deal with Channel 4. So Channel 4, for those of you stateside or don't know, is a very prominent channel in the UK. Um, we're talking, if I understand correctly, and feel free to correct me if you're from the other side of the pond and I'm getting this wrong, but we're talking on the same type of level as, you know, maybe a CBS or, or an, you know, NBC, one of the bigger channels. Right in the U.S., you have NBC, CBS, Fox, that type of stuff as your your main channels. Um, 
this is on that level from my understanding it's uh, it's third third most according to some information i was given by the great producer john brannigan who lives over there um but it is it's a big deal they they've got a lot of uh, of pull so this is a big step up compared to the mma tv channel that was previously airing PFL and it signifies that they're hoping to get more international fans. We've seen the PFL start to make some more international moves, right? They also recently announced a um, multi-year broadcast deal for Latin American countries. I believe I don't exactly have that up. I can find it and put it in the comments after the show, but they, they just announced another deal for international rights that seems to boost them quite a bit. We we have the WSOF Global suing them, right? Suing the PFL for rights. I've talked about that. And that's almost certainly in regards to the fact they probably caught wind of PFL trying to host events outside the States. So it looks like they're appealing to a more international market or trying to appeal more to an international market. And, and this is a huge step in that direction. Now, it is important to recognize that this deal does not state exactly what platform the PFL will be shown on. You'd think, right? Channel 4, oh, but it's kind of like ESPN and PFL's deal where PFL is not airing on ESPN regularly. It is airing on ESPN Plus and sometimes on ESPN 2. It's very possible Channel 4 has its own streaming app, right? And we've seen this before with Bellator, where Bellator got the BBC deal um, and then ended up being on the iBBC player app and wasn't really shown on BBC type thing. Um, same situation here, where it's very possible that you get one or two shows on Channel 4, if you're lucky, and then it's mostly through the app. Could easily see that. Could be that it's regularly shown on Channel 4. That is a possibility, but there's no indication in the release that it that it is, and that makes me think it's more likely to be on the app. Because if you're going to be shown on Channel 4, you almost certainly, PFL would have pointed that out and touted that and said, yes, we are going to be on Channel 4 the main channel four at these times, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, um, you know, it says it, you know, it's an amazing partnership, all of that. Uh, PFL Peter Murray, right. Has stated that we have such an amazing partnership in channel four. They have such a premium portfolio of sports. And now they're taking on MMA with the PFL. Um, that's great, but we want to give, the massive fan base that's here in the UK an opportunity to have access to a quality product that's not behind a paywall. I don't believe the channel four app is you have to pay. I'm not hundred percent on that though. If you do, that makes it sound like it would actually be on channel four itself, but we'll, we'll see. This is, I have yet to see anything that states it's going to be regularly on channel four. I'm, given the time it is airing, right? It's not airing at peak hours. So it's possible but I wouldn't be shocked if this ends up being like a Bellator deal where you end up being shown on an app more often than the actual big channel. Still, big news. It shows the PFL's intent that they want to go more international, which I think is a good idea for them. And it really, again, just boosts 
their confidence confidence in terms of hiring and luring I'm sorry, not hiring, luring in more investors, right? This is the type of deal that you go to investors with and say, hey, look, we're making all these international moves. We've gone international. We've got this broadcast deal in Latin America. We've got this deal now in the UK on channel four. That's a big deal. You should give us some money. Get in on this. Your returns will be huge. This is what they can point to. And in the meantime, again, just gives them more audience to hopefully get them to buy more tickets or merchandise or what have you. Ideally, I mean, in the UK, you're looking at merchandise rather than tickets, unless they have an event there, which lawsuit aside, PFL has the right to do three events internationally. So could do one or two of them in the UK, not a bad call, but yeah, I mean, it, it only helps the promotion. I've said many times since the last season's finale, it it dragged on. The ratings were not good. I hoped that there were views on the ESPN Plus app. Despite what some people think, including some people at the PFL, which I've tried to clear up, I want the PFL to succeed. I would love for the PFL to succeed. More competition is better. I like the tournament format, especially when this was first coming around in the era of the two belts in the UFC and all the champ champ, all that stuff. I personally love that. But from a business standpoint, their numbers haven't been the best. Whoever's selling though is doing a really good job. And if they've got numbers behind the scenes, they're doing a good job keeping it under wraps and then bringing those just to investor meetings and getting this deal done. I don't think the numbers behind the scenes are significantly better than what we've reported on or seen reports on, but you don't need that to get investors. I will say it over and over again. You do not need the best numbers in order to get investors on your side. I have seen so many companies get money where I've scratched my head and then two or three later, those companies are just dust. And I'm like, how did anyone think this was a good idea? You got the right pitch, man. You got the right key numbers to draw in investment opportunities, you're good to go. Got the right friends in some cases, right? If you've got an angel investor friend who is sitting on millions and millions of dollars, likes you and wants to invest in the business, that's huge. You you don't need solid fundamentals to get money from the outside. So again, hats off to PFL for doing this. I'm sure that's only going to boost morale and help them get more investors on board the next time they need to do a series. I think it's G at this point. I don't really remember whatever their next series round of series funding is. Um, this will only help their case. So that's kind of where we are at this point. And yeah, congrats. It's a big deal though. Let me know if you are in the UK challenger series is coming up at the end of this week. And this is supposed to air on the challengers series as well. Let me know if it's actually on channel four or not, or if it's on the app, because I would be very curious to know this. And let me know your thoughts. Are you excited if you are over in the UK? Are you excited to be able to watch PFL on channel four? Or do you even care? I'm very curious about international fans thoughts on PFL. So let me know in the comments below on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter. All right. Next, we have the first ever F. Twitter mailbag segment. Yes, that's right. I'm going to go through three 
questions that I received, give you my answers on them, and then hopefully get more questions from you guys next week. If you have more questions for me, drop the comments below if you're watching on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter if you want to keep it true Twitter mailbag. Hashtag true Twitter mailbag, FBP. Um, that in mind, let's go to the first question. First comes from Scott McCright. Scott, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, feel free to let me know. Um, this question is, hey, Alde OJ, I think a lot of MMA fans, slash me included, are also fans of MMA media members. Would be interested to know how media members manage their careers. Uh, do they get invited to do spots on like Sirius XM, which we've seen members of SureDog go and do? Um, is, is that a chance to get their name out for compensation? Or how are the podcast slash articles slash guest spots compensated? Do most media members use agents to negotiate? All of that type of stuff. Um, thanks for the, the info, as always. Scott, love your questions, as always. Appreciate you listening to the show. This is a good question if you are new to the... MMA media space. So if you're listening to this and you've just gotten into MMA media, or if you know, you're a fan that likes listening to me, to Ariel Hawani, to Luke Thomas, to whoever your go-to guys, gals are. Um, how how does this all happen? So this is my experience, and I will I will give you my input as kind of a low-level media member, because that's make no mistake, that's what I am. I am not a big shot at all. Um, and I will let you know what I have heard through my full-time media members, friends, where they're doing this as their full-time job, as well as some of the bigger names and deals I've heard. So for the most part, right, media members are not compensated. We're not compensated at all for doing guest spots. We do our, our guest spots to generally maybe get our name out there, but also because we're friends with a lot of other media members and we like to do particular shows, right? You want to be on different platforms. You want to give your opinions. We are in this because we love it. Trust me, you do not go into MMA media for money. Not even close. Um, there are very few full-time jobs. It takes a lot of hard work and time to get there. I'm very fortunate to have met multiple people who were freelance and then became full-time MMA media people, um, especially over at the Body Lock where I used to um, do videos regularly, right? Four-man crew, love love that place, RIP Body Lock. And, you know, now Drake Riggs is over at MMA Mania full-time and Matthew Wells, of course, is over at MMA Junkie, which is fantastic. Both Both guys deserve it. It's awesome to see, but those jobs are hard to come by, right? Um, they're very hard to come by. And they had, both of them had to work a long time freelancing to be given those opportunities. So shout out to those boys as always. Um, but yeah, I, I, and, and also Ant Walker, who again, love Ant, uh, love doing his show over on the walkout network miss him greatly. We'll hopefully do more collaboration with him. Him too, right? He he used to be a sure dog as well, freelancing a lot more. I mean, he busted his butt and you know, he ended up not going that path, but man, it was rough and he worked his butt off 
I think I'm the only one on that site that didn't because I just said a long time ago, I'm going to stick with my business stuff and do this more as a, a side gig. But man, I, he, and he came close. He got interviews. I won't say with who, but he got interviews with, with big people and he deserves a full-time spot too. There's just not enough to go around. So that gives you an idea in terms of the full-time spot. And, and again, we're not talking about six figure full-time spots. I, I've heard of some people getting that, but that's again, upper you're, you're talking about senior editors or, I mean, obviously Hawani or the bigger names, Luke Thomas, you know, they're probably making well over six figures. Some, right. Hawani definitely is. I'm sure Luke is, um, that type of stuff. But for the most part, right. Again, we're not talking crazy money here. So that just gives you kind of the groundwork for this. Then. Yeah. We, we'll go on each other's podcast. We'll do that. Whatever. I don't know. Other than maybe Hawani, maybe Luke Thomas, but I don't think so. Um, none of us have agents that I'm aware of. Um, we, we all kind of just make negotiations ourselves. Hawani might because he's big enough, but I, I don't know of anyone else that would come close to that. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of any media member who could possibly have an agent outside Hawani. And I don't think Hawani does. I think Hawani just does his own negotiations. So, no agents in that regard. Um, and yeah, guest articles, things like that. Those can be compensated because again, if I'm writing an article for sure, dog, I'm usually paid per article or, you know, podcast per video. Um, if, if I go to do a guest spot on a particular place, I might not get paid at all and just get my name out there. I may get paid a, a small freelance rate. Right. Um, especially starting out freelance rates are low unless they've changed when, since when I've started out, was it three years ago? Four, no, four years ago now at this point. Um, free, freelance rates, just getting your foot in the door can be $2 an article. Um, you know, some places it's, it's based on how many views. So you get a, a dollar per thousand views, which on some of the smaller sites is near impossible so, you know, uh, you, you're doing basically work for free for the most part. It's, it's brutal. There's not a lot of money in MMA media. So that's kind of what it is though. If you, if you get involved, the nice thing with MMA media is if you get involved and you want to do it, getting your foot in the door is not particularly hard. And if you work your butt off, you can eventually get to the point where it's a nice side hustle or, if you're lucky enough, you get a full-time gig, right? Um, if you really are diligent about your craft, if you have some skill that is lacking in MMA media, which again, there are plenty of, of skills that could be more utilized or found in MMA media, you've got a low barrier to entry, but your, your rate isn't going to be super great, right? It's like entering a business, a business entering a low barrier of entry to enter the market, but your profit margins aren't going to be super high. It has kind of a cap. That's kind of where you're at. Unless you become a Hawani or you really work your butt off, you know, and, and you can look at, look at some of those bigger guys' stories about how they got to where they are. We're not dealing with agents. We're not getting compensated per spot. We're, we're mostly peasants. We mostly do this because we just have a real passion for it. So that answers your question there, Scott. I hope that's an in-depth enough answer. Um, next, I want to go to Mark Fellows. Love you, Mark Fellows. All the way over in Australia, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. 
no more shoeies for me. Question from Mark, who says, with the recent comparison of earnings between Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou, I was wondering to myself what sort of revenue their recent fights generated. This would help put in perspective the massive discrepancy in pay to give a better overall idea of how badly MMA athletes are underpaid. This is a great question. And what I will point to here is, of course, an article that John Nash already did. Thanks, John. Always doing all this business stuff. No, I mean, he's he's the king at this stuff. But he did a fantastic article in January of 2020 that elaborated on fighter MRP, um, Paul Giff's piece. I did an article describing kind of what fighter MRP was as well as, you know, some of the findings of Giff's article. Nash took that and did one step further in terms of looking at certain fighter MRP. So you have Nganu making around 600K and then the new pay-per-view price, we, because we don't have buyouts and its numbers are a little bit fuzzy, I don't want to necessarily elaborate on exactly what it is. This article by Mr. John Nash himself has information from Project, uh, what's its name? I always want to say... Well, I can't actually say it on here because it's a project that I'm working on. So I'm not allowed to talk about it. But um, I always want to confuse that name with a project that I use for work. But it is Project Basquiat. I think that's how you say Basquiat. Um, And it talks about revenue shares. And he does a great breakdown where he essentially talks about how to, to find John Jones's fighter MRP, what he earned or what he almost certainly earned there there is some estimates in here and and nash gives a good um preface talking about assumptions and what we're dealing with here and then what he generated and so nash put together john jones's mrp from 2012 through 2017 looking at what we know from all the documents that were revealed from the antitrust lawsuit uh the pay-per-view buy numbers we have the the fighter pay disclosures, and then the gates, the live gate, because that's obviously part of it too. And the idea behind it is, which is backed up by Dr. Giff's piece on fighter MRP, is is the main event, whoever's the A side of the main event draw is mostly was generating that extra boost in terms of gate and pay-per-view and so on and so forth. And so through all this analysis, what he found was that between 2012 and 2017, John Jones' maximum, the maximum amount he could have earned, so that's his ceiling based on everything we know, was $32 million. In all likelihood, he got paid way less. How much less, we don't really know, but unless Jones negotiated the maximum amount of money, and again, we know based on certain documents that that would also have would have made him the highest paid fighter through 2012 2012 through 2017 which is almost certainly false given conor mcgregor but that's what the 32 million dollars assumes so again that's his ceiling he generated 108 million dollars in extra revenue for the ufc so again generated peanuts less than he got less than three times what he generated or generated more than three times what he was actually paid if it was the maximum. 
Now, if it was more likely he got paid something like $20 million or 25, what have you, which I would say is probably a better estimate. I mean, that's four times he generated what the company paid him his worth was. That's a big deal. That is is significantly less than what a, a 50 or close to 50, 40, 40% revenue split would give a fighter. If you, if you had a 40% revenue share between a company and a fighter, that, that's a lot of money that's missing, right? Now, take that compared to Tyson Fury, right? So Tyson Fury just negotiated some crazy amount of money. I think it's what, $50 million? Um, let me look at this. $40 million per bid for Tyson Fury, Dylan White fight was just announced January 28th. So a couple weeks ago, $40 million. So for one fight, and, and Fury gets 80% of that. So, I mean, we're talking $32 million is going to Fury. So in one fight, Tyson Fury is getting as much as John Jones got between 2012 and 2017. That should highlight the disproportionate amount between MMA and boxing, especially because, yes, Fury, Tyson Fury is a draw, no doubt. But it's not that he is generating four, five, six million pay-per-view buys, right? In fact, if we look up Tyson Fury pay-per-view buys right now, um, Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2 did 800 to 850K pay-per-view buys in the US. So that's good. But that's an Adesanya number. And that's similar to a John Jones number, especially 2012-ish. And he got paid the same amount John Jones made maximum. So again, almost certainly Jones got less than this. But for one fight that was just announced this year, which is not even the Joshua fight or or Wilder again, who are going to be bigger names, he got paid, or the Usk fight. Um, he he got paid. He's getting paid thirty-two million dollars. Jones almost certainly got less for five years of his career. I hope that highlights the difference in fighter pay. If that doesn't do it for you, I'm not sure what will. The fact that one of the biggest stars in the sport over the course of five years made as much as Tyson Fury did in one fight bid to a non-top contender or exciting name, mind you. I, I hope that drives that home. All right, last question I had here, and this will take me a second to find, um, at least the name of who, who did this. But I was asked on Twitter in reply to one of my shows being posted was a question that essentially stated as pay-per-view becomes less and less revenue for the UFC, when will the UFC abandon the pay-per-view model? 
And let me see if I can find the name of that soul because I think it's fair to do. So bear with me for one second. And the name of that soul is, I think, Justo Ferreira. If I'm saying that wrong, I do apologize. But yes, the question is, if pay-per-view revenue is a decreasing amount of total revenue for the UFC, how many years before they abandon the pay-per-view model? Great question. And I have been asked this, but it's been a while. Here's the thing. One, if this was just the UFC running pay-per-views like they were before the ESPN deal, it's a break-even point, right? If you do the math versus, say, a subscription service, let's say the ESPN is not involved in this whatsoever. If you do the math on a subscription service, like the WWE did when they stopped doing big pay-per-views and instead you just had the uh, WWE network, it comes down to we will stop doing pay-per-views once they become less than what we could generate in subscriptions. And you do a bunch of math behind the scenes and you essentially find, okay, there's a break-even point, price point, that says we need to at least sell this many pay-per-view buys in order to have that match a subscription service if you go even further back prior to subscription service days you're looking at this is how much it costs to produce a pay-per-view and through our various partnerships and networks this is the cost of it we need to sell x amount of pay-per-views if we can't sell x amount of pay-per-views then we need to stop doing pay-per-view and you've seen this in other organizations like bellator pfl is talking about doing pay-per-views if they do go that route we will see very quickly whether or not they stop doing them there's a break-even point where you have to hit this number in order to just have it cost zero and not cost you money. After that, right, then it becomes profit. As long as you're making profit, there's no incentive to to stop doing that unless you have another avenue that gets you a greater profit, which we call an opportunity cost. So if, for example, I can charge $30 a subscription and maybe only $50,000 people are going to buy my pay-per-view, which would be a very slight profit based purely on cost, but I'll get, I don't know, 20,000 subscribers each time I do put on events. Well, subscription service probably makes more sense in the long run. And again, you'll have to do an ROI where after a certain amount of time, a subscription service and a and the pay-per-views will meet in terms of equaling each other, and then the subscription service will generate you a higher profit. Good old ROI investment calculations, all that fun stuff. Um, It's it's business 101 in that sense, right? Um, You look at two different options, you find the return of investment on each option, and then you pick whichever gives you the higher percentage return on investment. And you can look that up. I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail about how that works, but it's a pretty standard business equation when evaluating different um, merger acquisition targets, different type of investments you want to do with a company. If a company gives you a ton of money to either put in a portfolio or to manage on how to spend through various products and, and research, you, you've got to choose between different options. Doing an ROI comparison is is one of the best ways to do that. So you evaluate it to the point where you either just are trying to break even 
and make profit, or you've got a better opportunity. Now enter ESPN into the mix. You now have a deal, a massive deal, with a company that will A, do pay-per-views, and B, pay you a stupid amount of money to put just whatever fight nights, like this upcoming fight night, on their subscription service. So if you're the UFC, you've you've already taken it out of your hands, right? Because ESPN Plus is now the exclusive pay-per-view provider. So you're already done because now pay-per-views are part of your broadcasting deal. You no longer care about pay-per-views. And that's really the truth. The UFC would love to sell tons and tons of pay-per-views because then they get a little bit of a bonus. But right now, it's not anywhere near the top of their strategic thinking and decision-making on whether or not they need to abandon the pay-per-view model. ESPN is probably going through those motions a little bit evaluating things and whatnot, but UFC has kind of washed their hands because it's all in their, their broadcast deal, which is great for them. They, they no longer have to worry about, again, getting these big stars. They've got that fixed revenue source. It's part of the reason they would even consider getting rid of pay-per-view at this point right now is because they don't need to generate that pay-per-view money. ESPN could look at it and at some point say, okay, pay-per-views aren't selling, right? Let's say we get a bunch of of bad pay-per-views in a row. Let's see, we see the trend maybe over the course of six months to a year, pay-per-view buys are declining, declining, declining. Then they're going to look at, okay, does it make sense to instead up the the amount of our subscription cost and then just put the pay-per-views on the subscription, right? But even, or include it, rather include pay-per-views in the subscription. But even if they do that, here's the thing to remember. With ESPN Plus, it's not just a, a fighting app, right? It's not UFC Fight Pass, where you're only showing MMA that's your main bread and butter. Yes, MMA is huge for ESPN+. Plus. We've talked about it before. It's driven a lot of subscribers, paid subscribers. It's It's been a huge boon and was one of the biggest, biggest assets ESPN Plus had when it hit the market. But now you're carrying a lot of other sports. And ESPN is going to continue to fight for their sports rights. They're going to continue to show other sports on ESPN plus and try and build out and diversify their portfolio of, of shows and sports. As they do that, the UFC's pay-per-view gets less baked in because you can't rise the entire price of the subscription just for UFC pay-per-views, right? What if I am a consumer who hates UFC, but I love, um, I don't know, regional baseball games or something, college baseball games or, or, what have you. I forget what they show on. I don't know. They show some out-of-market baseball games, things of that nature on ESPN+. Plus. So let's say I love that. I love being able to see those games, just a massive baseball fan. I'm willing to pay, I don't know, $7, $8 a month for ESPN+. Plus. But all of a sudden, if you say, hey, we're doubling the price of ESPN+, Plus to $20 or $30 a month, but that's because now you also get free UFC pay-per-views, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to say, well, nope, not going to do that. And I'm going to feel ostracized. Ostracized, that's not the right word. I'm going to feel, gonna, I'm 
going to feel upset and marginalized. That's what the word I was looking for. Sorry, it's been a long day. I've been traveling, if you can't tell. Um, so I'm, I'm going to cancel my subscription. A lot of people probably would. And then you're looking again at narrowing your audience and narrowing your product so that it would become more MMA-centric. ESPN almost certainly doesn't want to do that. ESPN would much rather continue to bump up subscription rates, package it with the Hulu Disney Plus bundle. And that's something Disney would really love too, right? Disney would probably be like, hey, we're going to pump the brakes on making ESPN Plus $30 a month now. Hold on, right? And they want to market it towards consumers, as broad a consumer base as they possibly can. That's why you have the sports ESPN plus you have the Hulu with live TV, Hulu and, and shows. And then you've got Disney plus with all of Disney stuff, right? You want to get that whole family package and, and hit everyone. So they're almost certainly not going to do that, which means that there's almost no greater opportunity cost for them whatsoever or incentive for them to stop pay-per-views. As long as the UFC was with ESPN plus, I don't see them ever stopping pay-per-views because even if you're only selling 50K or 100K or what have you, that's still probably just gravy on top of what the main purpose of getting the UFC rights were, which was to drive subscriber growth and engagement on the app, right? Um, I'm sure if pay-per-view numbers started falling flat, ESPN would probably start pressuring the UFC to either help them with stars or help them, you know, find ways to market the pay-per-view to new potential customers. They'd push for ways to sell the pay-per-view, but I don't see them saying, Hey, we're going to just make these completely free. We've seen that once in a while, right. To get new subscribers in when you have, um, what was it? Uh, Jan versus somebody. What's that? Jan versus Adesanya? I don't know. They, they had one event, right? That was a free, a freebie on ESPN plus. But that again is more of a marketing tactic to get you to sign up being like, look, dude, you can get a free UFC pay-per-view here on ESPN plus. Let's check this out. The only time they would actually put all pay-per-views under the ESPN plus umbrella is if the numbers got so bad that again, you reach that break lower than the break even point in just production costs. And then B, they really thought there was a greater opportunity cost in doing pay-per-views instead of rolling them all in to try and get more fans to just sign up for ESPN plus for a longer commitment, right? Like something like a deal. I would imagine you'd see a deal like sign up for ESPN plus for a year and you'll get ES you'll get UFC pay-per-views altogether. Again, don't see that happening anytime soon. There's no real incentive in my opinion. Um, numbers have been fine. You'd have to start getting into sub 100K almost every event for several events over the course of six months to a, a year before ESPN even considered that. Where this could change is if the UFC does not renew the deal with ESPN, you get they get a higher bidder when the deal comes up. They go to them and then that higher bidder says, look, we'll just pay you for your rights for ESPN+. Plus." Um, we don't want exclusive pay-per-view rights, right? Um, let's go ahead and you do whatever you want with that. Then maybe the UFC, again, is incentivized based on 
certain production costs, things of that nature to, to tone it down. But that's a lot of ifs that were nowhere near. So are we going to see the UFC abandon the pay-per-view model? How many years? At least six. At least. That's the earliest it will happen. Um, I think it's probably much larger than that. We'll see how things go. But the remainder of the ESPN deal and plus another year or two, I think six is the right number. it's, It's at least the better part of a decade before we can even talk about the UFC not having pay-per-view events. Unfortunately, that's kind of where we're at. So I hope that cleared it up. You have any questions on that? Let me know. Um, thank you, Scott, Mark, and Justo for the questions. Really appreciate it. If you've got questions for me again, hit them up below. I'd love to, to answer them. Love talking about this stuff. And yeah, let me know your thoughts on anything to do with the business out of MMA. Cause that's what we're here for. So that is the first ever FPP Twitter mailbag. Thank you so much for your questions. All right, next topic we've got to talk about, last big topic anyway for the night, is Israel Adesanya and Tim Simpson, who I believe is his manager at Paradigm, or agent, one of the two, I'm pretty sure manager though, over at Paradigm Sports, were on Ariel Hawani's MMA Hour on Wednesday and discussed fighter pay. Specifically, a couple things were said. One, Tim said that he would prefer if salaries were disclosed, even if it was an internal database and wasn't publicly facing, because that would help um, give managers a kind of, you know, comparison in terms of what they should be asking for or looking for, right? Um, I, the name is escaping me now, but it's similar to real estate where you pull comps. That's it. Um, having a list of comps so that you could look at them and say, okay, this is comparable athlete pay for where I believe my fighter is. So we should be asking for this much money. This is what we should negotiate, et cetera, et cetera. The idea being that the more transparent that is, the better it is for everyone. That's what he would like to see personally. Um, And it would lead eventually to increased pay and things of that nature. Adesanya went on to say that, you know, he stays out of negotiations, lets his management team deal with most of it, but he believes, again, similar to what Kobe Bryant believed in a rising tide lifts all boats, that Ngannou kind of shined the spotlight on this and it's only going to increase. Uh, and it was a very stark difference compared to comments we've seen Adesanya make before. I believe on his podcast or, or the show he did with Dan Hooker a couple years ago, he talked about, you know, these people don't know what they're talking about with fighter pay, you get money, all this stuff. Um, Adesanya seems a little bit more mature now. And and kind of realizes, okay, this is this is a different way to approach things, um, and he kind of again is shining a light on it. So, two big takeaways from me on this: one um, is good for Adesanya in terms of it's a smart business decision, right? We're we're not going to get into personal beliefs or the morals of, of this type of thing, but collective bargaining and, and the rising tide lifts all boats, which Kobe Bryant said at the fighter retreat so long ago. Um, It's it data backs that up. As I mentioned before, only a week or two ago, 
data backs up that if you collectively bargain together, you tend to get paid more. So by far the right business call by Adesanya here. And it's good that he's noticing it. Because regardless of how you feel as a fan or, you know, different sentiments on this, it's smart. It's not Matt Schnell saying fighters are, are not underpaid. That's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And then he doesn't accept a fight and he gets paid nothing. Um, it's it's the smart business play to try and get an agreement in place to have you make a certain amount of money, minimum. It only helps you from the fighter's perspective. From the UFC's perspective, right, they're trying to go the opposite way. They don't want that. They want to be able to cut costs, keep fighter costs below the 15% that they pitched when they sold the UFC to Endeavor. And Endeavor's trying to keep that money flowing to help them as they acquire more debt, continue their M&A spree, um, and, and just keep growing into this massive company. Now they're public too. They're just trying to lift their stock price higher. So that's that's what's going on on that end. Second thing is Tim Simpson, Simpson, Tim Simpson, uh, Tim Simpson's words on disclosing salaries would help raise fighter pay. That I disagree with. I don't think that is true because. Even if you disclose what everybody is making, and it's an internal database, like you said, it doesn't have to be publicly facing. It really just gives you comps based on wages that may or may not be competitive, right? If... There's there's nothing stopping the UFC saying, all right, here's all your wages. Here's everybody's wages. Now you can compare and do all of that. And maybe the lower tiered guys are, are negotiating a little bit better or maybe even mid tier or upper tier saying, okay, well, I know, um, you know, let's see. I know Donald Cerrone was making this. So I'm a vet. I'm a big name. Maybe I can go ahead and negotiate closer to that. And you could push some of the salaries up, but you're not going to get nearly as much as you would via collective bargaining agreement or union or things of that nature, um, which essentially is a collective bargaining agreement, but you know what I mean. Um, you, you're going to do much better in terms of a bump if you have a CBA in place or you have a, a association that negotiates or what have you. That is much, much more revenue in your pocket if you're a fighter compared to, oh, okay, I know this guy's making 100 grand. I've been fighting here for a while. I'm going to go ahead and ask for 100 or 90. Or I just beat this guy and I know he's making this much. Let me go ahead and ask for this much. Like, yeah, that'll give you a boost, but again, won't give you nearly as big a boost. So, and again, depending on, if the UFC then decides to start paying top guys less and, and suppress everybody's wages, then you are left with comps that are still suppressed, right? If all of a sudden every champ is getting 500 K plus pay-per-view points and everybody else is getting paid less, then okay. You're just kind of stuck. Well, that guy, you know, is on a eight fight week winning streak. He's ranked number five and he's only getting paid this much. Well, okay. I should only ask a little bit above that. 
that that doesn't actually help the fighters. So I disagree strongly with that statement. Um, also, the UFC doesn't like that idea because otherwise they would have let commissions continue to disclose salaries and not say that they're trade secrets. Because obviously that's what people were doing. They were looking out payouts and saying, wait a minute, I see that this is the payout, this is the payout. I want to go ahead and get a piece of that action. And and people were negotiating based off of that. So let me let me actually correct myself a little bit. I don't strongly disagree that it would disclosing everyone's salary is a bad idea. But I think it is a very small step in the right direction. There are better ways to increase the life of fighters. Well, increase, you know, increase fighters wages and increase their share of revenue. If you're on the fighter side, that's what I'll say. Because yes, you disclose everyone's salaries more than likely they all start to rise because people start trying to negotiate at a higher level of people that they know of. Um, but if you had a, uh, agreement in place, you're going to negotiate much better, not only just money, but benefits too, right? I mean, how much is health insurance and a retirement fund worth in the long run compared to just a 5k bump in your salary per fight for show and win? That's what I would say there. Um, especially as fighters, you know, it's, it's CBA is a much better call than just, yes, I want to see everybody's salary. Salary helps, but it's it's minor compared to that. So it's an interesting thing to hear Adesanya say, again, given his previous comments, um, and a manager to say, Tim Simpson. But I'm assuming, again, because Adesanya was going to talk to it about it, he wanted to align with his client, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, again, McGregor is a part of that, and you haven't heard – Simpson has never come out and said this when, when McGregor's done super well. And they're both – with paradigm sports. So it's not like, Oh, Simpson said, yeah, we need to have this turtle database. No, it's only on the same show that Adesanya starts to talk about it, that you hear this. So that's important to keep in mind too. That all being said, more spotlight and more pressure on the UFC now from a fighter's perspective. And it's very possible the UFC will start to acquiesce in some ways just to try and keep fighters happy to have them not pull a Francis Ngannou to not start looking at forming a CBA or other things and really starting to, to work together. They might make a couple of concessions in order to kind of appease everybody and say, okay, here you go and cut their losses. Now wouldn't be unheard of, right? I mean, in negotiations often the party that is trying to prevent the other side from getting more will make a offer that says, all right, you know what? We'll go ahead and give you this and this because we don't want to deal with the hassle of it. We, we just want to, you know, it's the first offer. So it's going to be a little bit of an increase compared to what you might've had, but it's not necessarily really what you want if you are the working party, right? If you're the worker, think about it. If, if you're working at a company and you're busting your butt and you want to raise, Maybe the company offers you a very small raise initially, or or let's say a, a modest raise, but you know you're a top 1% earner and you're selling and doing everything you need to do. You might counter and say, hey, actually, I'm going to need this amount of money. And you go back and forth on it. 
Now, if you're an employee, that's much harder to do, right? Your boss might laugh and be like, uh, what? But that's a big part of this whole great resignation thing and all this stuff that's happening, apparently, um, where you have a lot of people quitting jobs and then going to find other jobs. It's a worker's market. They have the leverage. So they're they're coming in and and dictating, no, I'm going to need this much money. We're going to do this. Inflation is this. Let's let's do this. It's It's a negotiation. It's always a negotiation. So... Do I think, again, it's going to change anything yet? No. I think the UFC's monospony is already too much in effect. Um, they're so far ahead of their competitors with a competitive advantage. The only risk you start to see here and that you note if you're the UFC and why maybe you start to bump up minimum fighter pay or do something that's minimally cost invasive to kind of head things off is again, the scarcity of the best fighters in the world. If you ostracize and piss people off enough, specifically your champions, and they start leaving to go to other promotions, then you may start to lose that brand image of being the best promotion in the world, which is what the UFC hinges on, right? I train UFC. Oh, I watch UFC. I don't watch MMA. I watch UFC. I'm a UFC fan. I'm Bellator, and I never heard of that. Oh, that's some whatever. PFL, huh? I don't know what that is. If, though, all of a sudden, Francis Ngannou and Israel Adesanya and Kabaru Usman all show up in Bellator, that starts to change the wave. As I've said before, look at AEW and WWE. AEW had, if in the world of professional wrestling, uh, they got w- a couple of big names over initially, and then it was, okay, they're not really a competitor, it's fine. And then kept getting more in free agency. And suddenly, ratings-wise and ticket-wise, AEW was starting to actually make a dent in WWE's profit, or at least starting to compete with them on some level. I mean, it's still WWE, so it's humongous and whatever. But that that is a risk that the UFC has to take note of here because with the sunset clause added in contracts where you now have a five-year maximum contracts, fighters can do that. Again, I fully believe, especially with the injury. Now Francis is sitting out that entire year. He's going to go box or he's going to go fight for Bellator. He's going to go do something else. He's not going to fight for the UFC again. And if you just have Francis do it, well, it's okay. But if you have a bunch of fighters do it, well, then it becomes an issue. And this would have been introduced again in 2017 or so so a lot of fighters contracts are probably starting to come up this year or next year and a lot will resign and it won't be a huge deal but others may not and as that landscape starts to shift that could start to actually show a crack or two in the ufc and that's an important piece of all of this so interesting comments interesting to see adesanya come out in favor of this less interesting to see tim simpson again because he's the manager of adesanya he was also going to be on the show Makes plenty of sense. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that's a very big name in the sport shining a light on fighter pay and saying that you shouldn't have to work two jobs to make a living and fight if you get to the UFC. You should get paid enough that you can live and train full time. Something to that extent. I don't know the exact quote, but that's what Adesanya was saying on the MMA hour today. So that's big. That's big. And that, again, puts a little bit more pressure on the UFC. And if I'm a risk strategist and I'm looking at this from a long-term standpoint, I'm marking this down as a a low risk, right? But still, I'm marking it down at this point. I'm putting it in the book, the risk register. (laughs) 
So interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. We'll see what comes of it, but important to note. Okay, last segment we have to do today is one that I hate doing, and I've done a million times, but we're going to do again. If you've watched the show, even semi-regularly, you've probably caught me at some point talking about how there are a couple of sites out there that post fighter salaries and pay-per-view buys in a way that does not really show a true disclaimer that they are pretty much fake, made up. Best guesses. As as worth as much, probably less than the pay-per-view buy prediction that I did at the top of the hour, and more so with the salaries even worse, because the salaries are, are based off of the last reported payouts from almost pre-pandemic and, and are just utter trash. And these sources get aggregated by sites that then say, well, the reported payouts are these. And, and using this other side as a source of truth, which is absolute garbage. I mean, I'm talking absolute garbage. And the main reason I bring it up today is because a major mainstream site, major mainstream site, put this out there today. Let's say that, you know, a comparable newspaper would be slash website, right? Um, You know, would be like the Washington Post, stuff like that, that same level. It's very easy to figure out who this is. Um, You know, it's it's not hard. One of the biggest websites out there, um, mainstream-wise. And again, for them to publish these fake fake payouts, which they did, they reported Israel Adesanya's payout as reported from one of these terrible sites. And it takes less than five minutes of digging to see that these numbers are BS. And this giant site posted this. Um, we're talking one of the largest newspaper slash biggest sites out there posted this ridiculous utterly ridiculous and shameful shameful stuff because that's going to more mainstream media too that that's mainstream consumers all this stuff and then they're almost certainly going to look at that and trust oh, okay here's what it is it, it's shameful shameful stuff you cannot be doing that if y'all could do me a favor and and re-find this particular segment and retweet it out there and, and call them out for it because it's awful. Because those numbers are are wild guesses. They even already had the, the, the actual source that this big site used for their numbers states, again, that they're all guesstimates and blah, blah, blah. But they already had that, that source had pay-per-view buy numbers for 271, which is insane. Because it has not been that long from 271 to have those numbers. Those numbers, accurate numbers, never come out that quickly. And this source definitely is is not, I do not believe for a second has some inside line to, to Dana and ESPN. And Otherwise, it would be all over the place and it would be all over main MMA sites. You don't see pay-per-view buys right now, at least at the time of this recording. You don't see pay-per-view buys listed on any of the legitimate mainstream 
MMA media sites. There's a reason why, because there's no real source on them. I'm sure if they saw that number, they would say, nah, that's, that's a falsehood. So I cannot believe that this major, major site did this. It's egregious, egregious. Call them out on it. Please do, because it's awful. It takes very little time to verify this. And, and it's just, just downright bad journalism. It should take you no less than five minutes to realize these numbers are BS. And I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's just bad. But the, the fact that these were not checked, that all, it's, it's pretty, pretty awful. So sorry I had to talk about it yet again, but that just speaks on how terrible it is. I've said this many times before. It's awful out there. You'll see these numbers floating around on social media and they'll be like, there, that's crap. But a lot of people are eating them up as, as truth. Now you have a major mainstream site, one of the largest mainstream media sites posting false information out there. Essentially false because it's very bad estimates. Uh, please, please all do me this favor and let them know. Send them my way so I can educate them in less than five minutes how you can determine whether or not those salaries and payouts are real. It's very easy. Very, very easy. The last real payouts we have were from 270 because it was in California. And so they have to disclose them still. They have not gone the Nevada way, all that stuff. That is our last UFC salary payouts. 271, nope. It's in Texas. They don't disclose that stuff. And there's been no legitimate source talking about pay-per-view buys. So the number that they looked into that they then added to Adesanya's purported sell, it's terrible, y'all. Sorry. But do me a favor. Call them out. A, you'll look really smart. And B, you'll put them in their place and educate some people. Call them out. Please. Please. I'm begging y'all. All right. And that wraps up another episode of the fight business podcast thank you guys for tuning in thank you so much for the mailbag make sure to call out all of those guys that are, are just being ridiculous in terms of fake salaries and all that stuff um let me know your thoughts on any topics i covered this week let me know if i missed anything if i've ever missed a business story this past week you want me to report on it's possible i'm human i've traveling a lot very possible i missed the story let me know if i did and i'll make sure to cover it in the next week's story um keep sending me those questions and emails if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, what have you, really appreciate it. Love you guys as always. Uh, this will probably be out a little bit later in the week because I'm recording this late because of traveling, but it will get out this week, I'm hoping. If not, it'll be the following Monday. But anyway, love you guys. And until next time, get that money.